Demystifying the Role of the Network Engineer with Ethan Banks, Episode 70. Welcome back, my friends, nerds, geeks, and Ziglets out there. We have another episode of the Zigbits Network Design Podcast, where Zigabytes are faster than gigabytes. As always, we strive to provide real-world context around technology. Welcome back, friends. Uh, Zig here, your host as always. And I have an interesting show for you today. I have my good friend, Ethan Banks. Actually, side story, he's actually one of the main reasons why I actually started this podcast three and a half years ago. So just to give that little call out that Ethan is the man that made me do this. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, Totally off script as always. Um, But enough of that, right? I just, Ethan, thanks for joining me today. Um, I really appreciate it. How are you doing? I'm doing all right, man. The internet dropped you out for a second there, but I think you asked me how I'm doing, and I am doing okay. Um, but I do have a question for you. So you said in the intro, Ziglets. If I want to be a Ziglet, do I have to get a tattoo? That's yes, yes. You have to get the actual icon tattooed on your arm, on your bicep. <laughs> no, 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 you don't. You don't. <laughs> no, you do oh. not. Um, it's just uh, you know, a brand, right? Just making up a brand and, and making it stick and trying to make it an honorable uh, icon as much as possible, you know? Fair enough, buddy. Fair enough. Hopefully, uh, the internet stays good today. You know, the interwebs and we don't have any outages, but, uh, no, I I appreciate you coming. I'm glad you're doing well. You know, we're getting around to the holidays here in the U S we got Thanksgiving coming up this week. And I know this is going to go out in a little bit, maybe in December, but, uh, um, we got an interesting show, right? We're going to talk about what a network engineer is. I have my opinions about what a network engineer is and is uh, since I've worked in a, in a bunch of different roles, you know, I've worked as kind of a, an, an, I guess you call it like an entry level admin or like an ops kind of person, you know, help desk stuff. I've worked as an engineer, which I think is somewhere in in the middle, and uh, and I've also worked as a designer or architect. And I, I know you recently did a podcast on the difference between design and architecture. I don't know if we're going to have that <laughs> conversation too, but but uh, but yeah, I have thoughts on what engineers are and aren't, and and hopefully we do some demystifying today. Yeah, I think I think um, uh, on, a, on a past podcast episode with my friend Knox Hutchinson, um, we talked about the network engineer role is just getting more mystified these days than it was like five years ago with all the different advents of like software-defined networking and DevOps and all these other things, um, other you know technologies and capabilities. But we kind of jumped in because I'm bad at a host. I'm a bad host, right? Um, why don't you tell everyone who you are? I'm sure everyone knows who you are, but why don't you just quickly do an intro of who you are, where you live, not where you live physically, but where you live on the internet and, and you know, what you do. <laughs> Am I supposed to dox myself now? Yes. Is that? Okay. Yes. Yeah. Um, so Zig, 10, no, let's see, more than that, 13 years ago, I started a blog called, um, well, it ended up being called CCIE Candidate. And I just blogged through my studies on my way to becoming CCIE. And uh, that turned into a podcast in 2010 that I started with Greg Farrow and uh, Dan Hughes, another guy who uh, took a job at Amazon, and Dan uh, Dan was no more as a host. And then it was just Greg and I. And uh, and so PacketPushers.net, you will find that 10 years later, from 2010 to 2020, we're still podcasting. We've got a whole podcast network now that we're doing. Heavy networking is our prime show where we do a lot of discussions of what's going on in the industry and so on. I write there and we have a newsletter and blah, blah, zig, all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, <laughs> if, if you go to, if you really want to know more, go to ethancbanks.com and there's an about page and you can find the book I've written with Russ White and courses and all of that. 
So, so I did that intentionally, right? I wanted to make sure if anyone that's listening doesn't know who you are, they know who you are. Ethan is a rock star. He's an icon in the industry, and he's really been a good mentor for me over the years. Um, so, enough about all that. Let's get into, you know, let's start out. What, what, what do you think, my friend, is a network engineer in your own kind of words? Uh, I think the role of a network engineer is primarily that of a builder. So, I think about it this way: there is a business who's got a problem. Um, that can be solved by technology. And in my case, in, as a network engineer, I would be focused on the networking part of that technology, let's say, uh, and part of a larger team that's doing that. Um, so an architect is probably going to think about, from a business perspective, what is needed, match technology to that solution, draft up some kind of a plan, maybe do some lab work and so on. And then the engineer's job is to implement that design and work out the kinks and the bugs, uh, tweak it so that it works well and is stable, and then keeps it running. Usually does the second level of support if things go badly. And uh, and that's it. It's a, it's a builder. Uh, as an engineer, I've spent most of my time building networks. So that's the fun stuff, though, I feel like, like building the network and, and like implementing the technologies. Now, you may not be necessarily doing the designing and all the network engineering roles, but I feel like building the network itself is the fun part. What do you think? I think it's the fun part. Uh, that, that is the stuff that I have always loved doing because there's magic for me in building out a configuration and watching that network come to life. Now, what's weird for me, Zig, and I don't know if this has been your experience too, but a lot of times I've supported smaller shops. They didn't have a separate architecture or design group. So my job was engineer, but also the one <laughs> having to do the designer. In fact, I've been in a lot of a lot of interviews where I, I was asked in this, you know, applying for a job and they'd asked me, oh, are you more of a designer or an engineer? It's like, ah, both, both, you know? So, <laughs> yeah. and, and we kind of have the conversation that way. So that that's more the reality of it to me, I, I guess. Uh, only in a very a few of the shops that I've worked at has there been a, a sharp line between you guys do architecture and you guys do engineering and that's what you do. You don't cross <laughs> over very much. That It's like split. Like, like I think... In my experience, a lot of verticals, depending on your vertical and the size of where you work, um, you are you're everything. You're an engineer. You're the admin. You're the designer. The architect, like you said, like you're really just kind of doing it all. And sometimes you're the single person for everything, not just networking. Right? You're doing the system side of things, like you know, servers and web page and and whatnot. Um, you know, and then and then you're not even just doing networking anymore, right? Well, the, well, the, right. So there's that too. So then there's those those roles that I've had in the much smaller organizations where it's like, okay, it's me and one other guy and our boss <laughs> and the three of us kind of do everything. And even our boss is like, you know, thumping out DNS yes. zone files and whatever it might be. So yeah, there's those kind of roles too. But I, again, going back to the demystifying the engineer part of this conversation, it's like, to me, the engineer is the builder. That That is how I think of it. Yeah. So you, you're going to have some sort of architecture that or design, whatever word, we're not going to get in that conversation, right? Whatever yeah. that is. And then that engineer is going to get that. It's almost like a blueprint, let's say. And they're going to go and take that diagram and go and, you know, the configuration ideas and go configure it and build it from scratch. Um, you know, all the command line stuff or this day and age, it's like, you know, it's gooey, right? Build out the controllers and hit the buttons. Well, and then fix the stuff that the designers didn't think of or that wasn't quite right or that needed a certain tweak so so there's a role i think also in 
not merely building according to the blueprint, but when the blueprint turns out to be missing some important parts, giving feedback to the person who created the blueprint, go, you know what? We ran into this problem, and I think the way to solve it is this. What do you guys think? Can we get a revision? You know, there's, there's, so there's a communication yeah. aspect to it that I think is very important as well. Bidirectional communication aspect of it? I, I, I say that in, in tongue in cheek because uh, um, a lot of my times, you know, designers don't feel like they do anything wrong or are like, like I designed this solution. It is 100% accurate. Here you go, engineer, go do it. And then the engineer comes yeah, back and says, a- you got five things wrong. Like, Dude, that's an ego thing, though, right? Yes. So, you know, in, in the roles I've had that have been more architecture oriented, where I was the one building the design and handing it down, um, when someone on that engineering group would implement that design and kick it back to me and go, "All right, so we implemented it, and it was good like eighty percent of the time, but then we ran into this one thing where if we do this, what do you think? You know?" And then it was collaborative, unless your ego gets in the way and goes. Nah, man, you you trying to say I made a mistake? Because I heard I heard you say I made a mistake, but I, I don't think that's what you meant, right? I mean, you can't. Come on, yeah. who wants to play that game? You gotta, you gotta keep so, your ego like at bay, or at the door, <laughs> or whatever wording you want to use, right? Unless you're so amazing that you can think of every corner case and every situation and every every configuration <laughs> possibility that you can just you know crush it right out of the gate. I'm not that person, and I and I've never met that person. You're staring at him right here. Oh, kidding, totally kidding, sorry, totally kidding. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> uh, I am totally kidding. I am, I am more modest than I, I tell you. I, I, I am not that person. I make mistakes every day. So, and I will own up to them a hundred percent. So, there's a story I've been telling people that um, when I first started out in in IT, because I wasn't a network engineer by trade originally. Um, I actually had a kind of senior principal network engineer have an ego and not help and not share and not mentor and not provide information. And so that situation, like it, it like stuck hard. And I was like, I will never be that person that does not share things. I will never be that person that does not help because I mean, I, I literally was asking a layer two question. I was learning and I was a, like a, um, what was I? I was like a, a systems admin. Like I worked on servers. I didn't know networking. I didn't, I, I worked on a server. I worked on windows, you know, and, and I didn't know, Let's CCNA and CCMP. I didn't know switching. And so I asked yep. a question about VLANs and he wouldn't even help me. He was like, very like, yeah, no, I'm not helping you. And it was a simple, like, no, like it wasn't even like a, no, you suck. I will not help you. It was like, no. And that was it. That was it. So I'll contrast that with one of the very best experiences I ever had as a young engineer. My title was, I think like land WAN engineer or something like that. And I inherited a lot of stuff that other people had built including a somewhat complex multi-area OSPF network that I wasn't overly familiar with OSPF. You know, I was a CCNA level, kind of working my way up to CCNP, slowly reading through the books, trying to get get the hang of it. We had this problem where uh, an ISDN line would come up and because of which area the endpoints were in, it would cause a convergence event where all the stuff in this one area would start flowing through this ISDN link when it shouldn't have because there were bigger Ethernet links that it could flow through. And it it was a design problem in the way this ISDN link was built. I didn't know what was wrong. It was over my head at that point in time. And the CCIE came in from a consulting group and he explained everything. Oh, that's I awesome. have, I've told this story before. I've never forgotten this guy because he said, no, 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 this is the way OSPF works. And he like walked me through exactly what was happening when the link would go down, 
the trigger event that would then bring the ISDN line up and then how OSPF observed the topology and what that meant. And he said, and this is what we're going to do to fix it. We're going to do this and this and this and this. And then when this happens again, he actually would then have me now tell me what you think is going to happen when the line goes down again. It was awesome. And he was so, and he was a CCIE, which were like, you know, yeah, God status yeah. humans, right? You oh, know, yeah. you, you know, <laughs> wow. And he took the time to explain it to me, and it was incredible. I've never forgotten that guy and the that example, uh, the time he spent to teach me that thing. See, that's awesome. Like that, just spending the time with someone and actually like showing them, because you can see someone that's that's driven, someone that has that that I mean, almost like a thirst or, or like they're hungry or they want to learn. They want to they want to sponge it all up, soak it all up, not sponge it all up. Um, you know, <laughs> but they, that, that's what they want, right? And and. Yeah. Sometimes you just got to find that right person. Like, honestly, you just got to find that right person. Hmm. In that situation where you were talking about as a, as a network engineer and you notice, hey, this isn't, this isn't working, right? 80% of the stuff that you designed, Mr. Designer or Architect, worked. This other 20% didn't. You know, what would you do in those situations if the designer architect wasn't available? If the designer architect wasn't available. So, I mean, we're talking about a fairly formal setting there, but... Uh, so some shops I'd work for would have a very formal and rigid approval process to make changes. So it might be that I'd come up with a, a change that would take care of that 20% situation. Uh, it might be that I couldn't do anything about it because there was change control involved and it was going to be a month or two months. Other places, it was more like, uh, talk to the boss and go, this fixes a customer problem if I put this in place. Can I do it? The boss <laughs> would look this way, look the other way and go, okay, don't screw it up. And I do it, you know, just get it done like that. But, you know, the process for that was never, for me anyway, it was never hand it back to the architect or the designer and go, I, I don't know, man, it's broken. <laughs> I would always dig in, figure out what the problem was, and try to understand it very deeply, and then come up with a, a, an appropriate way to solve the problem. Okay, if we turn on this switch, if we add this feature, if we reconfigure this way, then this problem goes away and it doesn't put anything else at risk and then present my findings to someone else, assuming there was someone else that would, uh, that I'd need to present <laughs> review them or something. To. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But, but I, I, in other words, I didn't just walk in with a problem. I walked in with a problem and a solution if at all possible. See, that's a good, that's a good lesson to take, right? You don't just come to someone with a problem. You actually go through the process of identifying valid solutions and you come to the table with, Hey, here's some valid solutions and here's the pros and cons. And to me, that's part of the engineering role. You, you've got to be able to dig in and research because the, the really fine detail esoterica of a network, and there's a, there's a ton of that stuff comes down to a network engineer to know that the designer or the architect might not know. That designer or architect might be living at the world of uh, white papers and have mm -hmm. done enough lab work to kind of get proof of concept working, and that's cool. And they don't know that in uh, Juno 16 dot something or iOS XR version 6 dot, you know, whatever, there's some quirky thing. There's a memory leak. There's, you know, oh, that switch isn't there because you have to get a license for something else or whatever it is that the engineers tend to know. And so you need to be deep into it to be able to deliver that kind of information upstream so that everybody's as informed as they need to be and can modify the design appropriately. So again, going back to those 
communication skills and taking responsibility for things. But then also, I don't know, the ego <laughs> thing. Maybe that's a whole show, man, the whole the ego, ego thing. Yeah, but, man. I think yeah. you could get a lot of examples of positive and negative egos egos in, in our career, honestly, in well, our industry. So, so, so there's, there's a way you could communicate this stuff, right? You could, as the engineer, find a thing that makes some architect look bad and say – and and you when when do you share that information? Yeah. Do you throw down in a meeting where all the people that work on the network at a high level are there, or are you cool about it and like go to that person directly, or go to your boss who you know handles it maturely and say, eh, "I found this. Maybe you want to bring this over to the architecture team and see what they do with the information." You know, you could be that way and kind of be humble about it, as opposed to being. Look at me! I'm awesome and amazing, and you <laughs> suck. You know why? Come on, that's not a good way to make friends, encourage teamwork, and build yes. trust. You're not building trust, and man, you want that trust when the network is down. You want everybody on the same side, not adversaries. No, I, I 100% agree with that. Right? Like bringing something up in a forum, like a conference meeting, or with the with their bosses and directors or whatever, there is not the best place to do it. And I've actually been like in certain circumstances, both at a company where I worked, and then also as like a consultant, where I'm in a, I'm in that meeting and I'm it's happening, and I'm just like, oh shoot. <laughs> And I'm like, what do I do here? Like, and I want to say something almost like because the leaders getting like leaders stuck in the middle, right? That that you know, CIO or or whatever IT infrastructure manager, whatever role that leader is now stuck in the middle of the situation. I'm almost like, you guys might want to just you know break the meeting and, and have a you know a one on one or an off top uh, offline conversation about this instead of doing it in the middle of the meeting. It, it gets pretty heated too. It's a total power move, right? Uh, oh yeah, oh yeah, hundred percent. I oh. never, I see. For me, I've never even thought of doing something like that. Like that's just my personality. Like I'm the kind of person that's like, I'd rather talk to you one on one, get into an agreement together, and then let's go to that meeting on the same, like on the same page. Like we're gonna be united front. Yeah. Like, you yes. know. But, but when you're insecure, you tend to not handle things that way. You're always on the offense. You're always trying to prove something. You're always, you know, ag aggressive and you know trying to be the, you know, the the, the toughest, baddest, most knowledgeable <laughs> nerd in the room because you're insecure, really, as opposed to being kind of comfortable with what you know and know that you don't know everything, and you know, being willing to go to that person one on one and saying, "Hey, so I ran into whatever it is, and I thought you might know something about this. Can we talk through this?" And then you know, having an exchange and building that relationship with someone, which is way harder than, you know, a, an email reply to all, I solved the problem, but yeah, kind yeah. of yeah. thing. No, I find, I, I mean, I think that we're talking about this a lot because I think it's actually really important. And I'm thinking like some of the people that are just starting in this, this industry and thinking of network engineer roles and becoming a junior network engineer role. And I, and I think this is ex extremely imperative for success because it's, you can't just throw things over the fence. You really do need to partner up with the people in your organization and not just yeah. the people on your team. Like, like, yeah, you need to partner up with your fellow network engineers and whatnot, but you also need to partner up with, if you're in a siloed organization where you have like a, a, a virtualization team, a storage team, a server team, like you need to partner up with everyone. You need to be that person that everyone's like, yeah, I, I love working with, you know, Ethan. He's awesome. I'm going to, you know, we solve problems together every day. Well, you said something else that was interesting. You, you positioned someone who is like looking for that junior role. And that, that's something else that uh, you know, some of the biggest career mistakes I made as a junior engineer happened because 
I wanted to be senior and in charge and had to prove <laughs> myself constantly. And so there was a certain arrogance that I brought to the table as a junior engineer where I did not respect the people that had been there for three years, five years, 10 years, and were responsible for building the network and were there when the trade-off decisions were made because of budget and skill levels and stock of the parts that were available at the time versus when the project had to be completed and so on, that I didn't know any of that stuff, but they did, and I didn't respect that yeah. because I you know, I know everything. You know, because what? Because <laughs> I had Google? I don't know. Google, you know, so, your, Google Foo? But that made for times where I'm sitting in my boss's office with a coworker who was probably more senior than me and my boss looking at me and looking at them and then going, okay, so we need to learn how to deal with this and define roles and responsibilities basically because I kept overstepping my bounds because I was too obnoxious and too cocky. So there, it's just so easy to not respect someone because if you've never been in their shoes and you don't know what you don't know, uh, you think you're the one with all the answers, and that's just so awesome. Yeah, I think. I, I mean, I think what's helpful in those situations is like I'm a big fan, and maybe it's my military uh, experience and background. Is like if we get someone that's new on a team, and it doesn't matter where I work, if we get someone that's that we're hiring and it's new on a team, we that first day we assign a mentor. There is someone that will be meeting that person every day um, for the first six months, and it's more of just like a hey. Um, how are you doing? What are we looking at? What are we working on? And let's let's show you the ropes, right? Let's let's build that relationship. We're not doing anything in a silo, right? We're a team, and, and we're going to show that, and we're going to be a good collaborative team, no matter what our roles are. It's always going to be a good team team situation, and it's not like I'm in charge, right? I am not in charge. I don't like to be in charge. I like to, um, I don't know what to call it, right? It's like a I want to find the best solution, the best option, and it, I may not have it, right? And that's fine. I most t- most of the time I don't have it, right? It's it's collaboration, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, there, there's there's a solution that I will come up with because of the way I think. I have certain experiences and thought patterns that will probably lead me to solution X. But that may not be the best solution. And so what I've learned over the years is that even though I think I know all the answers, <laughs> when I collaborate with someone else and they look at the, a problem in a way that I would never look at it because I'm me and they're them, they see something I don't see. Mm-hmm. And then I go, oh, yeah. And we implement that other thing or or, or, the, or the solution is tweaked in some way yep. to get to that, that better answer. There really is when you have, have a... A, a teamwork mentality as opposed to an adversarial me, I'm the one that knows everything kind of mentality. When you really have that team mentality, then you almost invariably end up with a better solution almost all the time. Well, I look at it as like the best mind, right? And there's a lot of things out there about like masterminds and all these other concepts. But like when you have a group of people um, together, let's say you have three people together, right? And they're actually collaborative. They're working together. You almost create this, this best design you can create as a group. And it, like, I'm a big fan of EIGRP. I will usually throw myself into an EIGRP solution. I'll be like, yep, EIGRP is the one to go. But it's it's not always the case. It's definitely not. And I'm definitely not right half the time, if not more. <laughs> um, but it, the point is that like I have my things that I have preconceived notions on. I have things that I like personally. And so I want to be in a room where people are going to question that. 
in, in a tactful way. I think tact is extremely imperative. So as a junior engineer, learning how to talk and learning how to communicate like, hey, um, I think there might be a problem with this versus like your design sucks. Like there's a very, very different wording that you can leverage in those situations. Well, this is interesting coming from you because you you do have a military background in Marines, right? Yes, yes. So I, I think of the typical Marine as very brash and not afraid of confrontation, but you're still emphasizing the pack the the point that tact is quite important. Oh yes, it is. It is critical. It is. I mean, it's a core trait, right? In Marine Corps, we we there's a whole bunch of leadership traits and. and characteristics but like again i mean just knowing how to talk to both your peers and your leaders and and tactfully talk to them and let them know what's wrong and what's right and then also how to lead up and down right that that's critical i mean that's how do you lead up and down how do you tell that leader what's important that they care about and what you're doing and how it impacts them and so even coming someone coming from your background is uh, you know, gets it. You, yeah, you, yeah, you, exactly. <laughs> the confrontational approach. I mean, just don't give me. I never. I don't. Give me, I didn't always get it. <laughs> like, like, let's be clear. I didn't always get it. I, there may have been times I was so naive that I was that confident, confrontational, whatever the wording is. Um, I was that guy, and it wasn't mm-hmm. intentional to be like my network's better than your network <laughs> or whatever. Um, but there was definitely times where I wasn't smart enough to realize that I was in the wrong. Hmm. You know, and I never wanted to be. You know, I never wanted to be. It's just sometimes you don't know what you do that's wrong. I need someone like Being you to tell to, me, right? Like, hey, you're you're wrong. Being willing to understand that you might be wrong and that that's a possibility yes. takes takes some doing. You have to be able to get to the point where you're comfortable enough to actually be okay with that. Yes, be okay that you could be wrong, right? That possibility. But here's here's a learning experience or learning lesson, right? And and owning it, um, and owning it appropriately. Right? When you're wrong, don't hide about it. Like that's that's probably one of my best, uh, not best, but it's probably my one of my suggestions uh, or takeaways is don't hide it. If you make a mistake, own up to it, explain it. Right? I've made some really bad mistakes. I've brought in down a lot of companies, a lot of organizations um, over the years, and I could go into details. Right? The point is that you have to own it, and, and you have to be really truthful and upfront. Be like, hey, yep, I messed up. And I have no excuse. I just messed up and I'm not doing it again. Um, I don't know. So let's talk about that, right? Let's let's jump into that kind of, let's talk about some of the things that you've messed up. Things I've messed up. Well, I mean, clearly I'm perfect. Yes, clearly. Uh, so I'm not sure where I'm supposed to go with this. <laughs> well, dude, in the email, didn't, I mean, we were going back and forth planning this show. I sent you a list of, I don't know how many different war stories that mm-hmm. we can talk about. I'll talk about one really straightforward one that leaps to my mind. Which is, I was on a phone call with TAC troubleshooting a Cisco 7206 VXR, and it had a big T3 that was, this was the main router for a remote campus that had 3,500 people on it. And that connected that campus to two other major campuses Ooh. in a metropolitan network for a state government network that I supported. And I forget what the problem was. It doesn't really matter. TAC told me to go to the console and type debug IP packet. And I said, Okay, you know, and my brain's going, I don't think this is a good idea, is it? It's really, this seems like I shouldn't do this. And I told, I remember telling the TAC guys, like, this is a production network. I'm okay to do this, right? And I believed him when he said yes, and I hit the button, and the router was gone. Just, I mean, it was that bad. <laughs> done, done. CPU, boom, 100%. Oh, man. Lost, uh, this was OSPF environment, so lost OSPF adjacency very quickly. I saw that fall over at, uh, at the head end where I, on the other end of that T3, and I was like, 
Uh, walked into my boss's office. Hey, got to go over to State Office Park South and reboot a router. I just killed it, and the campus is offline. She's like, what happened? Tell you later. I'm getting in the car. <laughs> you know, drive over, head over to uh, the closet and fire that thing, reboot it, uh, get it back online, and everything comes back up again, come back, and then sit down at my boss's office and go, okay, here's what happened. I was on with TAC, and they told me to do this, and I kind of knew I shouldn't have done it, but I did it anyway because they're TAC, right? They're gods. And I killed the router. I'm sorry, it won't happen again. (laughs) Stuff like that, you know, that it happens, especially when you're young and naive, and you don't know that, you know, when you're logging to the console port, which I was, that you're just going to crush that thing. And, uh, you know, stuff like that happens. Yes, it does. It does. Have you made any, like, unintentional like are unplanned changes during like a maintenance window unplanned changes during are you triggering me for a specific event that I'm i am not, not. i am not okay. i am speci- i'm okay. asking because so, of me so sure that's why i ask it because at least at least um, you did something that you were told by tack to do and you're like i don't think this is right but you were troubleshooting something and you did debug ip packet right but like i've done some stuff where i'm in the maintenance window where i'm like one of my you know, places I was at was like, Hey, I can't access this device. Um, and I made a change, right? I made a change yeah. that wasn't, wasn't scheduled or a part of the maintenance window. And that change brought down the entire place. Yes. I very definitely during production one day changed a ether channel port range in such a way that I killed the entire ether channel connected to the storage <laughs> array, which pissed off a lot of servers. They could not talk to this thing. It was some iSCSI array. There might've been like even SQL living back there. I forget, Ooh. but it was like type, type it along interface range, blah, 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 whatever I was doing. Enter, do, 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 know this, delete this change, whatever I was working on. And then it's like, I'd missed a one somewhere in that range. So I clobbered like 10 more ports than I meant to. It was like, oh, crap, what did I just do? Oh, no. And then I realized which Ether channel was gone. It's like, it's all back. Everything's back. Maybe no one noticed. No one noticed, right? Yeah, right. There's my boss's peer, the head of, like, the virtualization and storage team going, what's going on with blah, blah? I'm like, oh, crap, because he was one of these guys that was super political. It's like, I am going to be eating this one for weeks is oh. brutal what were you doing on the course which during production banks oh you know, here we go you know so yes i i have I, there's one zig <laughs> there's a mistake i made there's one right <laughs> well, there and, and we've all made the vlan allow you know allowed yes, vlan yes. statement you know where you put in the one VLAN that's now allowed and clobber all the rest of it instead of adding one to the group. I've made that mistake, although I don't remember it hurting that badly. I know I've made that mistake, though, uh, for sure. I've changed um, OSPF area types in the middle of a maintenance window thinking that, oh, this will be no issue. I'm like four core routers thinking that I was doing the right thing, not planned, of course. And then because I wasn't thinking straight, when you change the area type, it actually, you know, reboots the entire OSPF process and the entire place went down. Eventually, the neighbor ships came back up. But, I mean, that's not a fast situation, especially no. if you're not doing like a full um, fast, uh, uh, what is it, sub-second failover or anything like that. I mean, again, it was it was a situation. It was definitely a learning situation. And what? I owned it right away. I had that conversation I, with the, the, you know, the customer as like, Hey, I, I really messed up, but you know, I got to go fix this. And then you can yell at me. Like, I promise I, I'm going to go fix it real quick. We went down to the next floor. We consulted into the switches, made all the changes. And the guy I was working with was like, 
So yeah, you're gonna have to tell me everything you just did because I have no idea what you just did. Uh, I know everything went down, and we're gonna hear about this for like months. Um, <laughs> so we went to the office with the you know the network manager, and it was like, yep, I messed up, and I will not be doing anything ever again in your environment <laughs> because I, I I that is my uh, own control, right? Oh, I I had one trying to bring a Juniper SRX firewall online where that was. Very important. It was sitting at a nexus where it's separating a customer environment from a core environment, and that SRX definitely needed to be in line because reasons. It was a HIP environment, blah, blah. And for the life of me, I could not get this freaking thing to pass traffic. It's 3 in the morning. It's a freezing cold data center. It's like, I've done everything right. I've done <laughs> all the routes are up. I can see routes in the routing table. Why won't this thing pass traffic? It's just going over it and over it and over it in my head. A half an hour, 45 minutes, an hour. My boss comes in going, we're about done, right? Because the window's about to close. Do we need to back out? Are you going to be able to figure this thing out? And I'm like... Uh, you know, freaking <laughs> out. Long story short, uh, Juniper SRX is a zone-based style firewall, and I hadn't configured the interfaces and put them in zones. It had no idea where to be passing traffic. Basically, oh. the most fundamental part of the firewall policy had not been written, despite all my carefully built rules and the logging and the routing and all the rest of the stuff that I put in as an engineer to make that firewall exactly what it should be. I didn't do the duh stuff. That's like the most <laughs> obvious thing in the world and stared at it for, it ended up being not quite two hours before it hit me. Hey, dummy, did you put the firewall interfaces into the correct zones? You did not. Dude, 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 you know, like two lines of code, put it in. It's like, okay, it's passing. Now I can move on with my life. Holy crap. That was awful. So, uh, and it continued to be awful for the next uh, <laughs> couple of hours. So <laughs> I, I have, panic. I have similar similar issues where like I, I always miss the simple things. Like it's always the little dumb simple things that I miss. It's the complex things I get right. And it's like it could be something totally complex like bidirectional redistribution on multiple routing protocols and tagging and whatever, right? This this insane routing topology architecture. But like I could f forget like something dumb like VLAN configurations or uh, trunking a port or you know anything like that because so I'm not thinking about it, right? You're actually reminding me of something that I think is very important to do as an engineer, and it goes back to that communication idea. It's kind of related, but that is being able to clearly document something. Mm. Um, and you're documenting something not necessarily for other people, although that's probably the primary use case. It's for yourself, so you don't forget stuff. You sit in the lab, you thump it out, you kind of get used to it, and and then you know some time goes by and you forget kind of how it works and what you're supposed to be doing, and then you're trying to troubleshoot it. And if you don't have that documentation, you're relearning it all from scratch. If you've got documentation that's well written, then it should much more quickly come back to you what's going on. And by documentation, I don't mean like step one, type <laughs> this command. Step two, type this command. No, 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 no. When I talk about documentation, what I mean is step one. Type this command, paragraph of explanation. This is what's going to happen when you do this, and this is why you're doing it. And you need to do it in this order, and don't miss this step, and then try to fit it in later. You need to do it here for these reasons, so that the logic of it all, the the, the reason you built this, this particular procedural pattern becomes fresh in your mind, because that refires those synapses that came together the first time you did it. So good documentation is absolutely critical, I believe, as an engineer, because it's the engineer, again, going back to the top of the show, Zig, I think the engineer is the one that's closest to the network, oh, right yeah. down there in the guts of the thing, and really understands it more intimately than even the architects do. 
hundred percent agree. I mean, you said a couple of things there. Documentation is critical. Um, even like my home network, like it's not documented. I don't even know what I did yesterday in my home lab environment, right? <laughs> like it's, I, I you know, I'm, I was doing some SD-WAN stuff and I'm sure I have no idea what I broke because that's, that's what happens. I break things all the time. Um, but like, so there's that. Documentation is critical, even in your own home environment, right? Like I see a lot of people in some of the communities create their own kind of wikis to document their networks now versus, you know, how probably what you and I used to do is like you have a diagram and you write it out and, and you have, you know, maybe a, a script of configurations and you have it like mm. how, what each config means and, or each, each, yeah, each config means, um, like you suggested there, or even like a blog style, right? But now they're, they're doing it more like wiki-based, where you have a wiki, yeah. and you can have pictures and diagrams in the wiki, and it's kind of yeah, cool. I, yeah, more modern. I've worked with a, with a bunch of that kind of stuff. Either it's a, it's a blog or it's a wiki. It was SharePoint back in the oh, day. Yeah, you can all make fun of SharePoint, but I, I built a lot of documents in SharePoint with with pictures and diagrams and highlighted paragraphs, and you know, they'd, it'd be part of a library that would have Visio diagrams and so on. And admittedly, that stuff tends to get out of date but still even if it's a little out of date it's better than it's nothing a, it's a starting point right it gives you a starting yeah. point but like okay yeah i did this three years ago right i can't remember all the changes i did between then and now but i definitely can't remember everything i did like six years ago so that that it's a starting point well it's especially true when you do things that are not immediately obvious so so for example maybe you've got uh, a set of WAN routers at remote offices, and you want all of those remote office WAN routers to have essentially identical configurations, except for you know some little uh, you know IP addresses and things that are by definition going to be unique per device. Okay, well in those situations, you almost always run into a, a, a place where one of the routers or two of the routers need this one funky command because reasons. And because you want the configs to be like-like, if it's not hurting anything, you'll put it on the other mm -hmm. ones that don't need it. You need documentation to explain what's going on and why. You know, that kind of stuff really matters. Yeah, I have. No, I get that answer. That that. So I ask this question all the time, like, why did you do this? And I get the answer, it was in the script. I just copied it and pasted it. I do. We, that's what we do all the time. Like I've been in so many networks where like they're doing some complex technology solutions, uh, like like. MPLS traffic entering tunnels or um, sub-second failover, whatever, right? Uh, and they're doing it because it was just in the configuration. It was just in their script. They have no idea why they were doing it to begin with. It's not But you're defining the difference to me between an operator and an engineer. That's perfect. An operator runs the scripts, does the thing, whatever. I got the, the order in and I'm supposed to run this script and then run these things to check it and then I'm out. Do you have to know how it works? Kind of not really. The engineer understands exactly what's going on and why it works. That's a great definition between the two. I like it. That's a, a distinction too, right? Operator versus engineer. I look at the operator as like the admin almost. Like the he's the one that's like, okay, I got to create a new VLAN. Let me go grab these template configs, copy them, paste them, and then move on with my life. And no validation, no nothing. He's done. He did his task and clicked that remedy, you know, ticket checkbox. So. The operator is the person whose job can be automated away is Ooh. another way I think yeah. you could look at it. When you add and in the, the true engineer, not really, because they're bringing more to the table. Yeah, automating that operator. It's like your OM task, right? Operation maintenance task. It's like um, adding, you know, uh, configuring a port even, like for a specific VLAN. That could all be uh, automated these days. Exactly right. Exactly right. The, the complexity of the network environment might make it difficult to automate that stuff, but you get there eventually. I think yeah. all networks are going to get there with the button pushing tasks will be done by software.
So, so on that note, on the automation uh, topic, question for you. Um, you know, there's this myth about. Well, I'm going to call it a myth. So I'm kind of leading this. I'm sorry. Um, there's a myth. Yeah, I'm kind of leading. I'm like, I'm just leading you down this path. Um, there's this myth that like, if I embrace automation, I'm going to automate myself out of a job. What are your thoughts on mm-hmm. that? Um. So there's a couple of thoughts here. You know, one, network environments change a lot. Therefore, the needs for automation will change a lot in accordance with the business. So if you take a step back and look at a network design, that network design is static for a while and then it changes because there's some business need. Something happens. Oh, we need to bring load balancing into the environment, which causes a pretty significant shift in what the network design looks like. Oh, we have a new security paradigm and and so something significant changes on the network again. All right. Well, as every major iteration of the network comes through, you're going to need to change how the automation looks because there's a dependency tree that gets built. I added load balancers to the environment. Oh, well, that means when I deal with the automation now, I have to update on that, uh, I don't know, F5 device, let's say, my VLAN library, perhaps, or how I'm doing routing, or I, you know, well, I don't know what it is, whatever it is that might need to change in your automation. So there is a role then that you're not going to automate yourself out of a job, but you will spend m- less time finger banging the network to mm-hmm. make things happen and more time working on the automation infrastructure to make sure when you do need to make a change, it happens and it happens uh, successfully every time and that the automation tooling is keeping up with the things that you need to automate. It's going to be less about can I configure the network and more about can I keep up with the business needs in a timely yeah. fashion such that if you don't automate you're going to be out of luck because the speed of the business is such that you're not the weeks of lead time to build a new virtual IP on an F5 box. No, that's not acceptable. <laughs> it's just not acceptable anymore. Things like that should be automated and you should be able to do them at scale quickly. Uh, understand the process of your automation deeply so that when your automation doesn't work right, you know how to fix it and make it work again. And so that that headcount you're never going to get doesn't matter because you're able to keep up now. You've built the headcount in the form of software. So that's all. Those are a whole bunch of good points, right? You mentioned business, right? And I think that that's the first time we've kind of tied business into all of this. And I think that business really drives everything that we do. And if you asked Zig ten years ago, if you asked me, right? I don't like. I don't know why I talked to my third person voice or whatever. But <laughs> if you asked me ten years ago, I would have said the business sucks, technology rules, and I'm all about technology. I actually remember a situation where I told a CIO that that he was like, "You need to focus more on the business and the business lines of effort and the business priorities." And I was like. Screw that stuff. I'm on the router switches and CLI, and I care more about my you know technology things than I do yep. about the business. You know, today I'm like, hey, you need to care about the business because the business is what matters, and it truly does matter. And I wish I had, I wish I could slap myself, you know, my ten years ago, you know, past self, but like dumb, dumb. But dude, I, I I identify with that very much. I used to feel that way. Like you know, managers are just. You know, what do they do? They're just stealing my oxygen. You know, why are they yes. here? Like, give me, give me on that console. Put me at the CLI. Let me type the thing and make it make the things happen that are supposed to happen. Because that's what's really important here. When it, that's backwards thinking, because everything that the technology is there for is to support the business. 
And so if you don't understand the business, you don't get budgets, you don't understand your competitive space that your company is in, et cetera, et cetera, because you're there because you're a nerd and you love to you know, twist the nerd knobs. You're totally missing the point of why you're actually there. It's not because you're awesome at technology. It's because they need someone awesome at technology because the technology is making the business go. So if you lose sight of the business and what the business is actually doing and you just don't care because screw that, you don't get it. You don't understand why you have a job. Yeah, it's it's so true. It really is. And so that, I mean, there's a lot of takeaways of today's episode, but that's definitely one of the major ones is that you have to care about what the business is doing. Um, because, there, I mean, the network doesn't exist without the business. Um, and, and, you know, there might be things that are non-for-profit that don't fit that bucket, right? But they're there because they're, they're filling a certain service, right? They're filling a service, so they still need a network to, to fill that service. But it's, um, it's, it's even deeper than that, though, I think, because cause we can say, uh, oh, well, right, the business is the reason we have a job. We can kind of nod our heads and, and we get that. But, but here's how you as a network engineer become more valuable to the business. When you can speak their language, when it is time for budgets and they say, hey, can you cut something? And you're like, I don't want to because I have this idealized notion of what the network's supposed to look like. And then you can respond to them instead with something like, all right, um, this group of items was for this project. How do we want to prioritize, prioritize these over the next uh, year? And then I'll figure out from there what the right things are to cut. So instead of you being this adversarial, whiny person who's always got your hand out for money, you're listening to them, the business stakeholders, understanding what the needs are of the company, where they're having to make trade-offs because of cash flow challenges or who knows what's going on. And then work with them to give them the best solution you can give them within the constraints of the budget. When you begin to think like a business owner and try to identify with them, then you understand that, all right, uh, they're constrained for cash in in this way or whatever it is. And and now I'm going to give them the best I can because I'm on their side and we're all part of the same team. They're not just trying to screw me because Mm -hmm. uh, someone gets a bigger bonus if they cut, you know, a hundred thousand dollars out of the budget or whatever it is. It's actually a, a need that the business has. And when you can understand things at that level and think like that, and you're not just the nerd in the corner sitting in the dark part of the data center and they throw a piece of raw meat to you once in a while, when you're not that person, they're way more interested in in you and keeping you around. And when layoffs come, they're like, ah, do I cut, you know, this guy or that person? And ah, we want to keep him because he's like a grown-up that understands businesses have challenges and has tried to work with us right along. So since he gets us, let's keep him around. I like how you said he's like a grown-up. <laughs> Sorry, that wasn't my takeaway from that, but it was just funny. Um, but no, that that's I think that's uh, important, right? It's all about like being a team player. We talked about that at the beginning kind of of, of the show, right? Um, because it's, it's not just team player on your team, but like understanding the business, what they're trying to do and, and having a seat at that table and, and actually showing the business the value um, and, and, and sh- being able to articulate that, right? And talk that talk and, and say, hey, we have all this technical stuff here. This, this, these numbers, these budgetary numbers here are for this project, right? And, and you can say, hey, I can, I can do this. I can create a solution um, with half that cost or a third of that cost, yeah. but you're not going to get these things, right? You're not going to get these yeah. nice to haves. Yeah. Um, now, if they are requirements, then you guys got to let me know because then we got to bring that money back in 
and make that happen, right? Like that's it, a, it's it, compromising, exactly. right? That's all it is. It's compromising. Exactly. Exactly. It's, it's and compromise, but not in a bad way, in a way that that's life and there are trade-offs and there's compromises that that's every IT design, not just networking, but across the board is a compromise. There is no perfect unfettered by budgetary constraints network that exists. <laughs> I mean, maybe there's a few, but I mean, not, I none that it. I've worked I doubt on. it. <laughs> They've all had those kind of constraints. And so when you can say, this is a million dollar project, and they say, mm, it, that's a bit steep. I can't afford a million. I can afford half a million. It's like, okay, I can give you 90% for half a million. Are we okay with the 10% that we got to cut? Yeah. Okay. Cool. We all win. You got to be able to have those conversations. So, the, and I think that's good, right? I think that those are good conversations to have. But then I also get in these conversations where, like, we we talk to a customer or we're part of a company, and you know they want everything, right? They they they're like they need this, they need this, they need that, they need that, and then you get them, you know, okay, we talk to these vendors, and here's a five you know million dollar list of equipment and solutions, right? right? And they come back like, oh, we only had a hundred thousand dollars. Like, 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 what do you do then right like i mean there's really no win-win at all it's a situation where like you're asking for you know a crazy capable expensive system and you just don't have the budget for it no and then it comes down to education and not talking down to someone and just going okay you were severely budget constrained you have this problem that you're trying to solve and then it's just having a, a very factual conversation. To do this, you need these things for this reason. You're saying you don't have the money for that. Fair enough. For the budget you do have, as small as it is, we could do this. That gets you a little bit of the way there. And maybe we plan for the rest of it in an upcoming budget cycle or the next three upcoming budget cycles. And we're going to phase it in. You end up with a phased approach. No, that's good. Phasing it in over the course of a period of time, right? Uh, a year or multiple years or whatever. You know, it yeah, depends on the, the budget, the budget cycles, right? Which if you're a consultant, they, that's gold, man. You know you're going to be back and back and back and back delivering this thing for them over time. Um, and it's actually, it's not so bad in a lot of ways. No, it's not the idealized <laughs> solution, but it's a good way as an engineer that you can deliver that thing and really get it right. And of course, the more time that goes by, probably the better the technology is. And if you're really lucky, the cheaper it gets. So if they don't have to have it today, it's not so bad to deliver over time. Well, you get sticky too. If you're a consultant, you get sticky with that customer, right? Because you're bringing value every time you come on, you're, you're helping them out with whatever that solution is. And before you know it, like they're calling you up when you have problems, right? They're like, Hey, we because have a problem. Built trust. Yes, yes. That trust, right? You're I mean, not the trust. I mean, I don't want to say the trusted advisor, right? Everyone talks about that terminology, but I mean, it's really that trust relationship. You're building trust. They trust you and they think that, yep. you're, you know, you're going to come in they think they know that you're going to come in and, and help them. Right. And, and solve their problems effectively. Good engineers are difficult to find. And so when uh, a business that is hiring an engineer, whether that's a full-time person or a consultant, finds a person that gets them, that works with them, that can communicate well, and that delivers on what they say they're going to deliver, that they're going to keep calling that person back and back and back and back. It's as long standing of a relationship as you want. It really is. Because mm -hmm. those people, again, they are hard to come by. So what are those those key skill sets, uh, characteristics that you'd put in for like uh, finding a, that, that good network engineer? Well, it's twofold for me. Um, so I've interviewed lots and lots of engineers to, uh, to work either for me or with me on a team over time. And I think about interviewing folks and trying to figure out who they are in, in a couple of ways. One, I want to know that you can communicate. So I want to know that you can 
I want to know kind of uh, not only how you communicate, but how you communicate how you think. So I want to know how you think, and then how do you share that information with other people? So I tend to ask questions that uh, are along those lines. So I'm not very likely to ask you about everything you know about EIGRP since you brought up EIGRP mm-hmm. earlier in the show. I'm, I'm probably not going to get into that as such unless, well, it's a different, <laughs> it's a different scenario. Um, but what I am likely to ask you is something like, Zig, grab a marker, go up on the board, and I want you to draw a representation of the most recent network that you've worked on and talk to me about it. It's a very open-ended question. Marker, board, talk. So then I'm going to find out a lot of things in a question like that. That that actually is one of my very favorite questions to ask. Well, how well do they understand the network that they were working on? Because I'm going to get right to it. Do they know like the one edge router that that was their specialty? They worked on this one. You know, there were like 5,000 of these WAN routers in the network, and that's the only piece of the network that they worked on. Or do they actually understand how traffic gets from that WAN edge to the other WAN edge and all what the overlay protocols that were involved and what the routing was that was involved and, you know, and all the rest of it. Um, so that's, you know, they'll start drawing things on the board and I'll, I'll say, okay, so what's that? Well, that's the core switch. Okay, what, what model was the core switch? <laughs> oh, I couldn't believe how often that stumps people. Oh, it was a Cisco... 6500, I think. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. Oh, it was 6500. Okay. What soup engine did it have in it? I don't know. You know, et cetera. You can figure out with something like that very quickly how well they understood what was going on. And then, um, so that's one of those things that I'm looking for. How well do they um, communicate? How well do they draw things on the board and then relay that back? Because that's going to factor into their email. It's going to come up in conference calls. It's going to come up when we're sitting in the conference room back when we used to work in person. Remember that? Uh, and so on. But then also it gives me opportunity to probe into how deeply they understand the network. So let's, let's go back to the 65 or, you know, some, some new, something newer. 6,500s are really old today. <laughs> I bet there's still Thousands of them still in production all over the place. But but anyway. Okay, so what soup engine did it have? Oh, it has a, a whatever. Oh, okay. Was it dual soups or not? Or do, you, do you know? Oh, um, no. If, if it's yes, it had dual soups. Oh, okay. Were they SSO? How did that, how did that go? Do you know if the routing protocols were set up for graceful restart? Uh, you know, you start dig, just digging, mm-hmm. digging, 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 digging. <laughs> And the point isn't to trump the engineer with, ah, you didn't know about that one bit in that OSPF header. That's not the goal. The goal is to find out from an experiential perspective what they've really worked on and at what level they have tried to teach themselves about uh, networking. So, Zig, you and I have both gone through the CCIE process. Mm-hmm which yep. forces you to learn a lot, a lot, a lot of detail, many things that you would never learn. Okay. Um, so I want to find a person who maybe they're not a CCIE, but they, but I want to know how curious are they? How much do they actually understand? Um, because that tells me what kind of a person they're going to be on the team. On the team, I'm looking for someone who is more or less independent but knows when they've run, exhausted all their resources, how to engage other people on the team with what they need to know. 
So another question I might ask is something like, uh, so you've run into a problem with configuration, configurating X, you don't know how to do it. How do you solve that problem? Um, so many people, their response is, oh, I'm going to ask you, or I'm going <laughs> to ask, you know, I'm going to ask somebody. That's the wrong answer. It's a valid answer. Yes, you could ask me or whoever it is. But the answer I'm looking for is I'm going to dig through the documentation. I'm going to search the internet. I'm going to do whatever I can to try to solve that problem on my own. And only when I've exhausted that and I am still stuck, am I going to reach out and, and go to help, uh, go ask someone for help and say, look, I tried all these things and I'm, I'm just stuck, man. I can't seem to find the answer. Can you tell me what I'm missing? You know, point me in the right direction. You need to have that sort of a, a curious mind, someone who was a, an independent self-starter, because we don't have a lot of time. We're all too busy. Mm -hmm. There's not enough of us to go around. I need someone who understands how a protocol works well enough that rather than them you know, asking me 20 questions, they're helping build out the automation workflow. You know yeah. what I mean? They're, they're helping you, not hindering you, right? Sorry, they're helping, you, they're helping you, not hindering you. Yeah, they're not. When you want someone on a network engineering team, you don't. They don't need to know everything out of the gate, but you also don't want them to be uh, a, a, a boat anchor. You know, yeah. just dragging you down and you know, and so on. And there's a balance there to be found. You don't have to know everything, but if you're the person that knows how to learn and you can demonstrate that you know how to learn, oh yeah, mm -hmm. I'm interested in you. I don't care if you don't know that much about EIGRP, let's say. But uh, but you're willing to learn and you're engaged and you think about it the right way and you ask the right sorts of questions and you're you're willing to study and learn and you know figure your stuff out because you can learn anything if yep. you're willing to put the exactly. effort into it. So let's let's summarize right because I, I want to make that clear. Like so, I, I, communication right that was one of them. So yep. how you communicate communicate effectively yep. something like that. Um, the ability to learn and maybe the drive mm -hmm. to learn ability yep. slash drive to learn um, and then. Uh, and uh, you said uh, not like a self-starter, being able to work independently, right? Being able to, you know, you may not know the answer. And, and we know that even going after the CCIEs and whatever, you realize real quick that you're never going to know everything, right? So knowing how to find the answers um, to the questions you don't know. Definitely. Knowing how to find the answers. And, you know, I said independently, and maybe that flies in the face of our earlier conversation about teamwork and no ego and, you know, and that kind of stuff. So, I mean, there is a... <laughs> <laughs> yes, I want you to be independent, but yes, I also want you to be able to go and seek help when you finally do need it. But it's well, such a difference between uh, you know doing your work ahead of time and just saying, "Huh, here's something I don't know how to do. I'm going to go walk over to Ethan's Cube and see if we can figure it out." Yeah, don't make it someone else's problem, right? Like, like that's that's yeah, where I'm at. Like, don't punt the problem. Perfect. Don't right? make it someone else's problem. Like, I love it. Yes. Like, if you don't know how to redistribute between EIGRP and OSPF. I don't know if that's even a valid like issue right now, but I'm just saying, let's say you don't know how to do that. Like you don't need to go talk to Ethan or to Zig to figure it out. You can go Google, you know, use your Google foo. There's labs out there. I'm sure there's YouTube videos and you can figure it out. And that's just an example conversation topic. But then when you have a solution that you've, you've, you know, you've honed out pretty well, that's where you yeah. bring that back to the, the whole group, the collective or whatever you want to call it. Right. And say, Hey, here's what I've been working on. Let's throw holes in it. Let's see if it works and let's make it better. And then, yes. then you make it better, right? Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. So last thing I want to kind of highlight here is, uh, so, you know, as a network engineer, how do you go about improving yourself? Um, there's so much study involved, um, Zig. It's just, 
it, it, it never ends. I mean, I, I'm saying this almost from a point of being weary, you know, 20 something, I guess, approaching 30 something years in a technology career. It does seem to get uh, exhausting to keep up with tech because it just doesn't end. And, and, and even, and if it's stuff that you don't use, there's stuff that you, you don't use, you've not seen it before. Nope. And then it comes up and now you got to learn this other thing. And you know, so here's a case in point. So these days I, I do a lot of research and work related to podcasting for packet pushers. Um, the show I'm prepping for that I'm going to be recording tomorrow is on BGPLS. Well, BGPLS isn't particularly new. It's been around for five ish years, something like that. And, uh, but it's new to me, you know, why am I carrying link state in BGP that is counterintuitive and <laughs> evil and someone should have to pay for that only, you know, as you dig in and begin studying, there is a whole raft of data about exactly why that engineering mm -hmm. decision was made in the ITF, why the protocol supports it, the problems that it solves, the use cases for it and so on. So my point is this, that is improving yourself. It is digging in and studying and reading and understanding and labbing. And you can do it in an informal way. Like my study so far has been informal. I've been doing a lot of reading. There's lab work that I'll be able to do to reinforce that, which is a little bit more formal. Oh, all right. I've got, you know, a couple of decades plus behind me in networking at this point, And I kind of got a lot of groundwork <laughs> behind me. What if I didn't have that groundwork? What would be my method for learning stuff? And I, what I did early on in my, my courses of study, Zig, was certifications. I went through the whole Cisco cert ladder. CC, well, they, they have lower rungs now than CCNA, but at the time for me, CCNA was where you started. That was your first step on the certification ladder. Then I did CCNP, route switch. Then I did CCSP, which th that doesn't exist anymore, but no, that was doesn't. the security professional. Learn all that. Okay, I did that. And, and then and just learn, and you learn, and you learn in a very formalized way using certification blueprints as your guide of the things you need to understand, forcing yourself to get to the point where you can pass those exams. And now you've got a at least a baseline mastery of a whole lot of things. You can do that up through IE. I know you, you, you are a, you're a DE zig and there's other ones you can do from other tracks. Juniper course has their certification mm -hmm. tracks and there's some of the comp TIA stuff and so on. But for people early in their career, I think certifications are a, a great way to go because it's a course of study that's been described for you in great detail. And there's usually a lot of supporting material out there that if you're willing to make the financial investment, going to teach you what you need to know, fire up your GNS3 and uh, start labbing. Yeah, labbing. Um, so I, I'm a big fan. I tell everyone that I learn every day. I don't think you can be in this career field and not, not learn every day. You're going to have some days where you take the day off, I guess, but like... I mean, the things change so fast in IT and, and just IT, right? Um, something's going to come out today that is going to revolutionize how we do things. Uh, and you could pick anything. It could be network design or being a network engineer. And what we did 10 years ago just doesn't work the same way today. Um, and so I think it's well, imperative I, to say I, that. I, I'll even add to that, Sig, because what I've observed in 10 years of podcasting where I've been keeping up with the industry very closely and what's going on, it's not just that there's a new technology that's going to change things for us. There is definitely that, right? It's also a fracturing of the market where 
there's now 10 things that do something kind of similar and you need to understand the differences and the nuances between them, which drives me nuts. Oh. Dude, how many tunneling encapsulation formats are there right now? Oh, yeah. How? Oh, just you know, for example, that's a, that's a very simple thing. How many traffic engineering solutions are there now? Well, there's, there's, there's MPLSTE. Now we can add PCE uh, to the mix, and uh, we can do segment routing and add that to the mix. And how many flavors of segment routing are there? There's at least three um, <laughs> when you start including the IPv6 variants. And, you know, and on and on it goes. Well, why do I need you know, all of these different you know, variations on basically the same thing? And so, you know, learning every day is like, oh man, even that doesn't seem like it's enough because yeah. I've managed to go five years without having to figure out BGPLS. <laughs> uh, you know, just for example, it, it seems like it's almost impossible to keep up. I had a plan to, to do a video, a YouTube video on BGPLS because I was reading up on it a couple of years ago and it's been on my to-do list for like a couple of years yeah. now to do a YouTube video. Like I, I read up on it. I'm like, this is kind of cool. I might want to, I'm going to do this. Yeah. And then, you know, things come up and then I'm like, okay, I'm sure things have changed now. I got to go read up on it again, you know, because that's just what happens in this industry. Um, well, Ethan, I, I mean, just open it up. Is there any last minute things you want to tell everyone? Say anything? Uh, what I say usually. Um, any suggestions, comments, uh, words of wisdom? <laughs> I love networking, man. I still do. After <laughs> all these years. Somebody asked me a while ago if there was one thing I wish I'd known earlier in my IT career or something. And, and the, the thing that I came back with is like, man, I wish I knew back when I was like a Novell guide and, and a Microsoft MCSE and working on all that server stuff and, and uh, building out, you know, uh, backup systems for servers and stuff that when I finally got to networking, that that was going to be the thing that just captivated me. I'm still there, man. <laughs> I still love this stuff. The thing that what we do as network engineers and as network designers and architects and so on, we connect the world Seriously, so think about that. It's so think true. Think about that. We connect the world, and that sounds dramatic. And even if we only are connecting, you know, uh, working with the the, the few company, you know, our one company that's just got these hundred or thousand people connected to it, we're part of an ecosystem, a global ecosystem of network engineers connecting the entire planet together. Wow, you know, that network is starting to now include space ever more than it did. We've got uh, Tesla. Spacelink is going up. Um, we've got, um, you know, the HughesNet's been there for years, but it's just now it's becoming e even more than it ever was. That connectivity that we are responsible for is is amazing. And I'm not over it, Zig. I'm not <laughs> over it. I, I feel like I'm walking around, you know, and uh, and it's like, I know how the internet works. I mean, like, really know how it works. You know, that's cool. That's like, that's power. What we do as network engineers, I think, is... Not just nerdy cool, um, but also valuable and a big part of how the world works. Uh, I, and like I said, I'm not over it. No, that's great. You know, I'll, I'll say this last thing that um, the internet's become such an unstated requirement for everyone. Like, it, and I, I don't know how else to word that. Like, everyone, they assume the internet's going to work. They assume it's there. They assume they can leverage it for whatever purpose that they're leveraging it for. If it's binging Netflix on the weekend, right? Like, whatever, you know, or playing video games with their kids or with their friends or whatever, working and building a business, like, you know, a, a startup business. I mean, they assume the internet's going to be there. We, 
know how the internet works. We can understand it. We can talk to it. Now, you know, I don't know if like our significant others can understand it or not, but we can try our best to explain it, right? So, um, hey, Ethan, where can everyone find you on the interwebs? Speaking of the inter- interwebs, right? Best place to go is packetpushers.net. If you go there, you can find the podcast that I'm on weekly. Those right now include Heavy Networking and Day 2 Cloud. Heavy Networking is a networking architecture design show. We keep up with all the latest kind of thing. Like, well, like I'm planning a show on GNS3. <laughs> I'm planning a show on BGPLS, and I'm recording those tomorrow just kind of for a taste of it. And then Day 2 Cloud Zig is on cloudy stuff all the things that an engineer might care about cloud not just networking although we have networking conversations on day two cloud but also cloud and cloud operations and kubernetes and that kind of stuff and i co-host that with uh on the heavy networking side with greg farrow and uh, drew conray murray and then on the day two cloud side with ned balavance if no one knows ned he's a published author and all around super nerd for all things related (laughs) to cloud he really is i learn something from ned every single week and uh, for anything else, you can go to ethancbanks.com. There's an about page there, and you can find the book that I co-wrote with Russ White, courses that I've published, and uh, and ways to get in touch with me and follow me and so on. Well, awesome. I will have all of those links. There's a lot of them. I will have all those links in the show notes um, for all of you to jump on and, and consume uh, Ethan's content and, and Packet Pushers content. And then you can always keep that conversation going with Ethan on anything that we talked about today. Um, Ethan, I just want to say this. I really appreciate it, man. Thanks for joining me today. I really appreciate it. I, I hope you have a great day. Hey, friends, that's going to wrap up today's show. Uh, thanks you all for listening. This is a, um, episode 70. So it's zigbits.tech slash seven zero. If you want to go join the uh, look at the show notes, add your comments you can find us on uh, all the socials that's uh twitter linkedin and facebook you just search for zig underscore ziga for me or zigbits uh z-i-g-b-i-t-s if you have any questions comments concerns let us know you can email me at zig at zigbits.tech and until next time bye for now